This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Have you ever heard of the Distillery of Modern Art in Chambly? It's got all the best things in the world. Booze, art, people, fun, cocktails, everything you can imagine. Today, we're talking to the founder who left his corporate job to start this distiller from scratch. All that and more today on the Marketing Mad Men podcast. They say marketing is a madman's game. So now we turn it over to the Marketing Mad Men with Nick Constantino and Trip Job. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job and Nick Constantino here live from the battery in 2024. Happy New Year, Nick. I'm going to forget to write it until at least April. I mean, there's no way. It'll be 23 <laughs> till April. So that's not, it's not official yet. Yeah, uh, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. It's yeah. uh, We had a good break and... Uh, you know, I think we were talking, I got out west, got a little skiing done, got a little relaxation and uh, a lot of holiday cheer. So, Well, um, I had to drag two kids on a plane on Christmas Day through New York City, so it was the opposite of relaxing. Yeah, I was, was, I was taking the stress down, and you're just taking the stress right on up. You, you know, ironically, I stayed at 59th and 2nd of my buddy's place, and I remembered it about New York, but not, this is all I remember, me. Because all they do is honk their horn all day. And you'd think that the cops there, because there was an explosion or some gas line that were there, would stop the honking. No, they just honk at the cops. It's unbelievable to watch it in action. It's just such a New York thing. Like, I asked my buddy, I'm like, why do you have an air purifier going 24-7? He goes, you'll see. And I thought it was because of the It's because of the honking. It's the only thing that mellows out the honking. And, and I'm talking I, gorgeous apartment, too. And I'm sitting at the base of a ski slope in uh, northern New Mexico. So it's like night and as far apart from where you are as, uh, as could be. So. It's good to be back. It's good to keep the conversations rolling. Um, And we're going to have a fun one today because I have a feeling a lot of people started dry January. I start next week. And that's why I say started because I because also have I've a got a, I've got a, I'm going to a family wedding tomorrow. So I I've also got, have so a feeling. Uh, there's no way I can go through a family wedding without uh, tipping back a little bit. So I start next week. There's all, I also have a feeling that a lot of people have fallen off the bandwagon. So this is an off the bandwagon <laughs> episode. And we are going to talk um, about a local distillery. Um, we're going to talk about some art. And we're going to have a really good conversation. So first, Seth, how are you, my man? First of all, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. I've actually never spent any time near Truist Park at all, so it's pretty cool to walk around here and check out what's happening. Yeah, never yes. at all. Never. I've been to really? one Braves game. I don't remember how I got in, where we walked through, but I did not realize so many interesting restaurants and bars are just right there. Wow. Yeah, yeah we're going to have to take a walk around after. This place is uh, it's pretty cool. It, it, it comes to life. Um, it's a little off now, obviously. I think people are partied out after New Year's and yeah. when the brains are right. But if you see this place on a game day, I mean, it is just wild what they've built up here. We take it for granted. I'm here every day now for seven years, so it loses some of its luster. But realistically, it energizes you see in this place in action. It's a neat experience. But, I mean, I think it's like so much of Atlanta, and I think we're going to get into it because uh, you were in uh, downtown Chambly, I guess. That's right. And uh, there's been so much revitalization uh, across Atlanta. And so I want to hear a little bit about that. But uh, first, let's do a proper introduction. So Seth Watson, right? And uh, the name of uh, the distillery is? Distillery of Modern Art. 
All right. Love it. I passed the MoMA. So I'm, I'm, my modern art brain is just going. I was at the Met, but I was I was thinking about going into MoBA, but I was like, eh, six-year-old, two-year-old, maybe not with the one that likes to touch, too. So I was like, maybe not the best right. place. I'm sure those virtual lines would have been way bigger. <laughs> oh, man. And it was 10 a.m., too. So, but, Seth, when did, to tell us, when did you found the company and when, um, you know, what's a little bit of the history? So I had been in the hospitality business nearly 20 years. I had a business that did lighting, staging, sound, decor, prop fabrication, set design, and furniture building. And around 2017, I was just tired of it, wanted to sell it off and open a distillery. Had no experience in alcohol whatsoever. Uh, so I spent about five years traveling the country, visiting every possible craft distillery that I could possibly walk in the door, pulled the old sales technique. Hey, I'm in your area. I'd love to come see you. Really, I was sitting in Georgia, just dialing numbers, yeah. hoping people would say okay. And then I just was on the road uh, until about the pandemic, visiting, trying to find out what people did well, where they failed. You know, for me, one of the most important things to do is learn from others' mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I think people can get lucky. Yeah. I think anybody can get a check written for them and then blow it and destroy a potential business. And there are those that go in, bootstrap it, so to speak, and then actually succeed. And when they fail, they get tougher and they come back and they pivot. As a small business, if you can't pivot, you're gone. Yeah. No. I have that advantage. I think it's great to be first. I don't think it's great to be second, but I think it's great to be 20th because then you can learn from the mistakes that other people had. So I'm curious, as you're traveling the country, were people pretty open with you? Were they excited to talk to you? Did they think you were trying to open your own and kind of steal away the thunder? What, what was that interaction with, with these owners of these other distilleries? So it was all of the above, but thankfully in this industry, it's a pretty tight-knit group of people. There's so few. Yeah. At this point now, there's probably about 2,000 in the country. So I maybe wow. visited 70, which is a pretty good number to get a good pulse on what's taking place, but most people were pretty open. I get offered my services. I said, let me lug grain. Let me drive a forklift. Let oh, me wow. come in and just learn. Wow. You don't need to pay me. I just want to see and feel and smell and touch. I just want to have a feeling for what's happening here. And each visit to each facility, regardless of the conversation, more and more I realize that there is something awesome in the craft world. The word craft is a, a pretty muddled down word at this point because people yeah. don't they use it willy-nilly, but the true craft of part art, part science is a is a pretty interesting collaboration yeah. to create something from the ground up. Now, are there any parts of the country you would say are maybe at the forefront? I mean, everyone hears when you start talking bourbon or whatever, Kentucky, but, you know, in the, in the craft spirits world, as you were looking at uh, a, a number of things, are there any areas that you just said, boy, yeah, this, this area is where I maybe learn more lessons? I'd say the Midwest. One, because people are more interesting. Most of them are farm distillers. Not to say that Kentucky doesn't have the same there, but the Midwest, the products that they are growing, they have such pride in it. And so when they're able to take what they grow that they've been growing for 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years, they're then able to turn that into a great product. So you get a lot of these farm distilleries that don't know really how to distill. They know mm -hmm. how to grow a great crop. And then they find a great distiller that comes in and, and executes. In fact, that's where I found my distiller. Um, I had spent about a year interviewing people across the country, and every time, this is a similar business to like a brewery where you get a head brewer who either had experience at home yeah. or had been in a brewery for a long time. So you either get jaded individuals or yeah. um, really green with a chip on their shoulder. It's very difficult for me, who's a collaborator in general, to find and, and grow with somebody that's open and, and is not um, running around with a chip on their shoulder. So... About a year went by where I just had interviewed 20 or 30 different people, and they were all one of those two things. And then I had been working with a um, 
consultant in the industry because again, I came from yeah. another industry. I yeah. wanted some handholding from financial modeling to design, um, just understanding the entire world of it. And they introduced me to this uh, guy named Matt Greif, who's now my head distiller. And when I first met him, I was like, I don't know. He seems a little shy, a little quiet. I'm not sure if this is going to work out. So I flew him in to visit. We hit it off immediately. Humble, smart, and just really, really about his craft. And so we hit it off. He moved him and his family here, and we got started. I was thankful that during construction of this distillery, I had already hired him. So he came in, and all the things that I knew from paper that I understood from a design perspective Mm. made sense. But in actuality, when he's thinking about moving parts, how things actually work and why they work, he was able to make adjustments for us while we were there, yeah. which was very helpful. I have to imagine it's a, such a such a balance of art and science. I mean, the distilling process. I mean, you got to be you got to be consistent, right? You can't have the product change, but you have to be willing to experiment and try new things because mm-hmm. you still have to stand out from the rest. I mean, everybody makes a vodka. How do you make a vodka stand out, which is supposed to be a neutral spirit that is supposed to taste the same? Mm-hmm. How do you make those things stand out? So, um, I, I talk a little bit about that blend of art and science, and it'll probably be a good segue to the name and everything. But talk a little bit about uh, it, what what ne- what it takes for that distill to succeed and about that blend between those two? I would say there are three main components to it, right? So you got to have a good grain and you got to process it properly and then you have to proof it down properly. So where the science comes in is understanding whatever grain you're using. So to your point with vodka, it is meant to be neutral, tasteless, odorless, flavorless, whatever that combination is. But you can make vodka from nearly anything, sugar cane, corn, wheat, whatever it is. And what proof you end up with that vodka at will change that platform of flavor for you. So we tried every possible grain under the sun. Vodka is not our first product that we know well. We're whiskey nerds. And so trying to understand how you take such a commodity spirit like vodka, which is just mass produced and it's awful, or someone claims it's organic or gluten-free or a lot of these buzzwords to sell their vodka, a couple things to dispel there. One, spirits in general are... um, um, gluten-free because right. they've been distilled. So when someone puts gluten-free yeah. on a bottle of vodka, you're like, why are they bothering? The grain choice, there's it's, really it's cheap. for the uneducated. Correct. Yeah. We can slap a sticker on our bottle that says it's been distilled 25 times because it has been, but that's not a selling point. Right. If you don't make something, if you don't start with a good grain. Because then someone's going to be 26, though. Yeah. So if you do 25, someone's going to do 26, that's and it's right, just a yeah. race to the bottom anyway. That's well, right. I mean, 674 that, time distilled. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great lesson for so many small business owners like yourself is that, you know, you started out with a strategy, right? Understanding the market. Where did you want to play, right? You know, what you were going after. And then the product right so you you talk about the grain everything it's about making a product that is quality to meet your market needs and then i know we'll get into the next segment then it gets into the branding side of it right right. yep and you know so many people chase they they chase what they think are trends or fads um don't put the effort into understanding the market or understanding how and to make a quality short product term, short term not yeah. long term because right. industry and this industry changes so quickly and covid has sped up a lot of the changes that have happened i mean we've been having some conversations about craft beer i mean the how that sped up the they how quickened the haste yeah. and all these companies going out of business it, it you know i could have to imagine it's 2000 now and it'll probably go to 4000 and it'll probably go back down to yeah. 2000 and like, right. you probably have to plan for oh. all those ebbs and flows and i think a lot of it has to do with atlanta too if you will for a quick second talk about chambly a little bit talk about why you pick that neighborhood um because i think you're seeing that growth trend you caught it at a really good time so i I live in brookhaven 
Chambly's three miles from my house. Yep. The distillery is literally three miles. I've biked it. It's quick. I'm one more to stop up. Yeah. I had spent probably about a month or two in the city of Atlanta because I was like, oh, I want to be in the mix. Let's go down, check out whatever potential uh, properties are available. And everywhere I went, there was either a weird zoning on the building or part of it was zoned one way, but another part of the building was zoned another. I went down to speak to people at City Hall to try to get an understanding for what was available in the market, what they would think would be a good location, um, rather than find a location and jump through all the hoops. And I found the city of Atlanta to be very difficult to deal with. They were not interested in me from a business perspective. They're, anybody in their business departments were just trying to pass me off to the next person, the next person. And so I got a bad vibe, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere that would, want to appreciate something new coming into town. It wouldn't be a saturated market. I can stand on my own two legs and help grow an area that at the time had very little going on but a lot of potential. So Shambly was one of those spaces. I went and met with some folks at City right. Hall and met – uh, their business development director, and I said, help me identify some properties that are reasonable for what I want to do. And so that's, they did. No, that's fantastic. What I, I want to dive into that when we come back from the break, but, um, you know, and, and, and get in a little bit more into why you're attractive, you know, to a, a city like Shambly. So uh, we are with Seth Watson of uh, Distillery of Modern Art, and you're listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We'll be right back. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This episode of The Marketing Mad Men is presented by Elite Web Professional, a company dedicated to connecting businesses with their ideal customer. What sets Elite Web Professionals apart is their 14 years of experience in implementing straightforward, proven strategies, ensuring not only visibility, but also viral appeal in today's dynamic digital marketplace. Find them at advertisingbusiness.org or on Instagram at chriswilliamsinc. Now it's time for the 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 madness. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job and Nick Constantino here with our uh, special guest, Seth Watson of Distillery of Modern Art. And, you know, we were talking about how Shambly really, I think, uh, opened up to you and bringing your business in. But uh, let's take a quick step back um, and let's talk about Georgia in general, right? I mean, it's not the easiest state. It is to, not. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you see maybe craft breweries seem like they pop up everywhere, but I, I know the challenge is there. What's it like for a distillery Well, in distilleries Georgia? are against God, remember, because yeah. we are in the Bible right. Belt. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're supposed to be open for business, but it's hard to open a distillery because it's against God, apparently. Yeah. So, so you, Nick, you nailed that because when I first was looking, one of the first things that got me out of bed was there's so few distilleries here. Why? So I started studying the law, hired an attorney in the alcohol business for the sake of understanding, because you obviously can't open a business if you don't know those laws. And so what I started to realize was that all of the laws in this state, you mentioned beer, but all the laws in this state are holdovers from prohibition. So there is a tremendous barrier to entry to get a distillery built. Now, beer is treated differently. It's low alcohol. They see beer and wine as one subject matter 
and spirits as a complete other one. So whenever law changes in this town, it's because there's a big lobby voice for the beer. They have a much stronger mm-hmm. voice, as they should. So few distilleries, a lot lower of a voice to push the ball forward. When laws have changed, it's because beer has actually spearheaded that. So kudos to them for getting some things moved. As they've been able to get changes made, we've pushed for the distilleries to get similar treatment. It's not the same, but it actually has changed since we opened. Actually, the law changed in our favor in 2017 as we designed the place. Wow. So how many distilleries are in Georgia today? I believe it's between 14 and 16. Wow. With a in the couple close, yep, a That's couple insane. of closed last year, which is unfortunate. Of course, a, a number closed during the pandemic. If your entire business model is predicated on foot traffic, and there's nobody available for two to three years in the foot traffic, you can't stay open. It's just too much overhead. Let sure. me let me ask you this question, and I'm curious because I'm curious the same thing about sports betting. Like it's been now Tennessee, it's Florida. They've seen these adjacent states get all this revenue off of it, right? Texas and Georgia are pretty similar places, right? Your red states, your Bible Belt, your Southern, they had a boom in distilling, in micro distilling, especially in vodka. How do you not see that and say, let's make this really easy for people? What point does the business not outweigh the fake thoughts of, you know, keeping people safe and whatever it is? I mean, where's the exception to the rule and why have they not moved quicker? In your humble opinion. I would say cities have been trying to. That's what the cities want to do because they see the growth potential and they see the loss of business when they don't bring these things in. Um, It's state legislator. It's simply the state that does not see enough value or there's not a loud enough voice from a lobby perspective to say, let's change this. People don't want to get behind spirits because it just seems too challenging. Too challenging, maybe not enough, let's just call it uh, revenue for the state, potentially, in their mind. I, I wonder, does the franchise laws of the distributors have something to do with it? And I only ask because it's in the those distributors' best interest to have the biggest, most powerful brands, which they get behind. Does it make it yeah. harder? Why would they take on, want to take on these little brands? And because you can't change distributors because of the laws here, that probably has something to do with it. So you're well-versed, clearly, and (laughs) a lot of people call them a mafia because their laws, the laws exist because of the distribution companies. So for the record, I've dealt with every one of them from the top to the bottom. The mafia is a pretty good depiction, uh, except they don't use bats and they don't wear suits. It's a different different way to do it, but it's usually quarter zips and polos as opposed to suits, all black suits. That's exactly right. That's my Italian family from New York, I can say it. That's, amen. That is exactly the reason. So they... They want to make money, which is completely understandable, but they have a stronghold on what the state does because we're in a three-tier state. So, of course, we have to sell as manufacturers to the distributor. The distributor then sells to liquor stores, bars, restaurants, and so forth. Once you're in a relationship in this state, that's a forever thing. It's harder to get yeah. out of than a, than a divorce, than a marriage, sorry. Right. Um, and so they are not keen on taking on the little guy. And if they do and they don't like you, you sit at the bottom of a portfolio, they won't sell you. So it's very important in those decisions. And coming from a different industry, I didn't know these people. I met with all of them. Some seemed very interested. Some seemed very cocky, like they're the only people that should be used. And and I just did my due diligence and spent a lot of time uh, courting them just as much they were trying to court me because it matters. Once those people are in the market, they're really just glorified drivers. Their salespeople don't really care about you if they can go sell Tito's or, you know. When you have exclusive distribution arrangements, whether you're in the spirits industry, the beer industry, or other businesses, I mean, they're different distribution agreements. And I've seen that as a a failing many, many times. People don't understand. No, this is exclusive and it's not reversible. There's also not actually any agreements. Right. They won't sign anything because they don't have to. to. You're just registered with the state and then that's what they've got. 
They no. don't have to. No. And I also, they're also the ones that have the, the biggest pockets to incentivize the salespeople. Let's One, not forget the fact that you can throw a trip to Hawaii to the guy that sells the most of it. That's easy for a big, big boy. That is that's not right. easy for you to just put up a second mortgage on your place to send some people to Hawaii. So. I can barely buy them dinner. So that's definitely yeah. the, you know, the difficult <laughs> side of that. Who did you end up with as a distributor? Uh, Georgia Crown. Okay, okay, really good. We've done a lot of business with them. Um, again, know them all the way at the top, the Liebers. We, we, we do, we've done some good stuff with them. So they seem to be the most, in my opinion, homegrown, the most um, invested in the brands that they work with. Um, you know, everyone's got certain flaws, but I, I've enjoyed my time working with them. I know Jerry McManus pretty well. He's a good dude. We Jerry's get, good dude. We get to spend yeah. a, some time together every year at the Georgia Florida party uh, that we do at um, at Arnett's. Um, so I we, live next door to Arnett's. We've yeah. done some good business with them, so I, th- that is good to hear. Um, so, so you know, this is we've been doing a little bit of doom and gloom about the negative sides of it. Let's have <laughs> let's let's have some fun here. Yeah. So how's how's the industry looking? I, I was telling Nick, I saw. Uh, just a stat this week that in 2023 beer consumption actually declined across the u.s now that's because I, I stopped drinking I yeah stopped drinking beer. <laughs> well you probably I, I did, that was a, a percent that myself, was a whole but. percent right um but what was the spirits industry what what did 2023 look like and what's the kind everything of the that i've seen has been great the trajectory continues to grow i would say i i'm terrible at spinning out numbers um cold but we're moving up it just keeps going, and I believe spirits were more heavily consumed than beer. Yeah, my my general, you know, uh, man on the street type of view is there's been more and more, you know, focus on um, craft cocktails and you know people getting out and doing things differently, and and uh, you, you know you get different spirit clubs and things like that, uh, bourbon nights and flight nights and things like that. So I mean, it makes sense. It seems like at least in Atlanta that's the case. So the one advantage from what I've been told about spirits is that there are so many different levels of prices. So one of the things yeah. that they were expecting, and this is just from industry and friends and was that COVID was going to drive down people to lower product lines. So if you went from Maker's Mark, now all of a sudden you're going to go down to Jim Beam, call it, right? But actually, oh. because you weren't spending money in restaurants, the, the That's opposite That's exactly happened. right. And people went up in price. Now, I think— And inflation. I, I, well, let's, that, let's be that, that's real, because if you're if you're a craft beer guy and you used to pay eight ninety nine for a six-pack, and now it's $10 and eleven ninety nine, so the past you three start months. to notice it a lot more where—not that it doesn't change whatever your price points are— but if it goes from $34 to $36, it doesn't seem as big a deal. That's that's the point. Now, not, the, three mo- the past three months have been, the stores, the restaurants especially, have been seeing people for the first time making different choices upon what they drink. So they're going from top level $18 for On the Rocks, they're, they're moving down a hair. And this is the first time they're seeing it. So I think there's going to be some reshuffling yeah. in the next couple of months. But again, you're supposed to have something at each price point to account for that. And the one thing about booze that everyone says, right? Yeah. You drink when you're happy, you drink when you're sad, yeah. which keeps the entire industry in business. So That's exactly right. So on a mi- that's a macro. Talk about a micro level. Talk about what you have seen, because um, I want to get into the design and some of the art and some of the fun stuff, but talk about yeah. what you've seen from just microeconomic trends happening in, in your business and around Atlanta, uh, and then we can get into some of the fun stuff and finally try this puppy. So one of the most important things of why I started a distillery is mm-hmm. because as a young whiskey drinker, as I started to earn more money and could afford better whiskey, it just kept getting pushed out of my price range. It just kept happening. I saw the spirit prices from the, you know, the premium to the ultra premium category continue to grow. And what I really desperately wanted to do was create something that was not only affordable, but approachable in all those categories, whether it be a vodka, whether it be a gin, whether it be a whiskey. And there's a price point in which where people will buy a bottle for a gift versus something they pull every day to drink. Yeah. And we wanted to stay yeah. under each one of those things. I did not want to be gift bottles. 
Not to say that the secondary market won't take our whiskey in the future into those realms, but each one of our spirits is priced appropriately so somebody would buy it on a weekly basis, not once a month, every two months, three months, yeah. whatever. And I think it's really important to price that way to try it also because right. when Absolutely. you go to a store and I'm like, if I just need to buy a bottle of vodka, I'm price sensitive, right? Because Absolutely. I know that these are neutral spirits that all taste the same and the difference between a $40 bottle and $20 bottle is my little palate is not picking it up. Yeah. Most Even though I'm drinking palate. it on ice, like it, it, I, I'm, not, I'm not picking that up. So I think entry-level price point is especially important for people to purchase it the first time also. Absolutely. And these people something forget. Everyone wants to go high-end. Right. It's not always the best place to be nope. because the, the, you're talking a small group of people who are those connoisseurs looking for it? Last April, I did a uh, for um, Final Four. I did a, a blind taste test. All right, um, bourbon in this case, but four bourbons from uh, twenty eight dollars to seventy five dollars a bottle, and um, the thirty four dollar was the number one, and the seventy five dollar was number three. So we did, to so, piggyback on that, when I was trying to figure out what the market wanted, I knew that marketing is more than 50% of what we're doing, but I didn't want that to be the driving factor. So I did blind tests. For, yep. I did 25 of them, and we lined up five different whiskeys and price point from $12 bottle up yeah. to a Pappy, just wow. to see, without that marketing, what people liked. And every single time, Pappy never made it to the top three. The less expensive whiskeys that were tried and true – um, that have been around for a generation, those won every single time. I'm going to play devil's advocate here yep. because what I, from my understanding is a lot of times when they got rid of the age statements, uh, in addition to they just didn't have the age, the bottles of it, it also, the lower the ages, the lower the barrels seep into it, and the flavors of the barrel, the 12, 15 years, right. are what really throw people's palate off if you're not, if a, you're not consuming those things. So I think most people would always gravitate towards the lighter, yeah, yeah. lower dollar spirits. Absolutely. But, and, and I don't know if it's accident or on purpose. Oh, yeah. And even me, I mean, when you have that first gl- drink of a really big whiskey, it takes you back a second, no matter what you do. Absolutely. But like I drink, for example, you know, I'll give you a good one, just their clients, and I love them, Larceny Bourbon, a nice weeded yeah. bourbon. I mean, you you don't even know you're drinking whiskey when you're drinking that stuff. So where do you think a palate's going to go towards? Well, no, and I think you're, there's great points about doing any type of market research and focus groups and yeah. uh, similar. Like when I did I, study, Those are my favorite kind, though. No, no, when no. you have 12, 28 products in front of you, if you're drinking 28 different things, yeah. that's my market research. Sign me up for that puppy. Yeah, well, I think you're out of town. You were taking kids up to New York or something. Yeah. But uh, no, I think in, one of the things we did was I had probably half the uh, the audience, so to speak, that were new, so to speak. And if you looked at where they rated things, yes, it was a little different than the ones I knew that were long time bourbon drinkers. But in general, you still got that flavor. But it's great that you're you're looking at that, you're thinking about it, and understanding how to position your product, which rolls into let's talk about your yeah. portfolio what sure tell let's us what the puppy, let's you have. With the, with the corn whiskey yeah. in front of us because i've yeah. been try, trying to drink this thing dry january be damned i've been yeah. trying to drink this thing for the past 30 minutes so talk to us a little yeah. bit about this as we sip on it so many distilleries will take the position that they will buy aged stock when they first open a distillery label it under their own name MGP, and baby and i'm not in that camp i feel like anything worth doing is worth doing right and so we did everything from scratch our bourbon and our rye are still resting. We've only been open for two years, so those are not on the market. We have been playing with all types of corn, grown as close as um, South Georgia, um, in um, just south of Fayetteville. We've got a partner farm um, that grows Jimmy Red corn, all these like very cool mm-hmm. heirloom corns. So we fell in love with this white corn, 100% mm-hmm. white corn, which is definitely unique to what people think of yep. when you think of corn whiskey. Most people think moonshine, which... 
They're just uneducated. They don't understand what moonshine really is. Is moonshine just not aged? Yeah. It's, it's like the white dog before they throw it in the barrels? It's only moonshine if it's made in some grandpappy's backyard. Yeah. I but mean, yeah, right. But, it, but usually that's just the juice that they put into barrels to age to be whiskey. In a sense. It's more of the crude side of what moonshine actually is. Yes. But corn whiskey, this is literally 100% corn, no other grains in it. Um, the white corn has this subtle sweetness to begin with, mm -hmm. and so we made a lot of it just to see what we could do with it. Now we're finishing it and all sorts of stuff, but the people's mindset on corn whiskey is that it's a weak product. It's not anything in comparison to a bourbon or a rye, but we want to dispel that. So this corn, this is only one version of our corn whiskey. We only aged it for a year because it started tasting excellent. We were mm -hmm. using it in Bloody Marys. Then yeah. we decided to finish it over Ambarana wood, which is a, um, it's kind of hot wood right now for people that have finished it with bourbons. We wanted to try it with the corn whiskey, especially because the release was coming towards uh, cooler months of the year. And yeah. we wanted to pick up those baking spices that you get from the Ambarana wood. So this tastes like Christmas in a cup, in my opinion. I say it's, it's got a warmth to it, but yeah. it doesn't have a heat, right? That's you right. Know, certain whiskeys, obviously, you get that yeah. real heat at the end, but Absolutely. this has a nice. The balance of it is beautiful. The proof is exactly where you want it. Um, this is probably the only product in our entire line where I would not sit down on my own and just sip it neat. It's just it's meant to be yeah. put into something. Yeah, and yeah. I, I will say, as drinking it neat, and this is going to sound crazy, yeah. but I I taste that this is made of corn. I yeah. taste the yeah. pop that this is this is mm -hmm. this is made not yeah. of a not necessarily of a grain, but something with sweetness yeah. and with its Absolutely. own flavor profile. You almost taste that in it, which mm. I couldn't say I would be able to pick out on a on a wall. If this is wheat or this was rye. Right. Rye maybe a little bit more, but I can yeah. taste that this is made of corn. But Just the balance, corn and I wood. can see you doing a lot of different types of cocktails with it. Our entire cocktail menu. So at the bar at the distillery, we're seasonal when it comes to our cocktails. We grow all of our own uh, garnishes in the garden right outside. And when we tailor our menu, we, of course, are trying to highlight a particular spirit at any given mm -hmm. time. And so this one plays incredible in a number of different cocktails. Um, but you're talking about wood and corn. That's it. And so our series for corn whiskey, there'll be a number of different releases finished in a we have a barley wine we finished it in. Cool. We have a bourbon right. uh, cast we finished it in. Um, a couple beers that were in it. First were at Willet uh, Distillery, and then went to a brewery for a port. Uh, no, I'm sorry. A stout, I believe. Yeah. And then it came to us, and now we've got corn in it. So, wow. So many different unique flavor profiles jumping out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just it, with corn. It, this also tastes, ironically, I don't know if I would ever mix citrus, but this tastes like a citrus would be really nice in it. Citrus plays great with it. Like yeah. a pineapple juice, even something with a little sour would be, yep. I'm not much of a mixer, more of a rocks drinker, yeah, but so, I, yeah. this, this for some reason, a citrus, a nice citrus would work well with this, I think. Yep. Yeah. That's dude. That, this is so. This is a great start point. So, talk a little bit about the rest of the portfolio. So, sure. talk about the vodka. Um, I have a grandfather who swears he was born in Italy, even though he's born in Puerto Rico, and Amaro is all he drinks. So, <laughs> talk about talk about Amaro. Talk about the, why you pick these cocktails and and what's next. Because I think based on what you're talking about the experimentation, all the different things you have going, you're not going to be a let's stick with five and go with it. You're no. going to be a let's no. wing this puppy. That's right. The beauty of small business is that we can do that, right? So when we were working through sort of a financial model just to understand what we could mm -hmm. and couldn't do, um, we needed to start with some spirits that didn't need to be aged because our bourbon and rye do, but we have five other products that do not need aging, give us an opportunity to introduce something to the market mm -hmm. and be able to play with those thinking both for our distillery, the bar at the distillery, and then for the market. So both the vodkas that we pulled, after trying every possible grain under the sun, we fell in love with a French wheat. It's just okay. a fantastic subtleness that in a vodka, and ours sits at 80%, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's 80 proof, sorry. 
And so that usually for a vodka sits around 70 because it's meant to be put into a um, into a cocktail. They don't stand up well on their own and they're just overly distilled to get rid of probably a, a garbage grain. And so when we fell in love with this French wheat, we started getting into it. We definitely wanted to make a straight vodka. And then being in the state of Georgia, we definitely wanted to do something playful for the state. So we did a peach vodka. Sure. And it's all natural mm-hmm. peach. The peach is a delicious flavor. It does not taste like chemicals. It stands up on its own, and it plays really well in a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Quick story. My wife, who does not drink um, anything besides beer and wine, found the peach vodka, and now she just throws you know, Topo Chico on top of it, yeah. squeeze a lime, and she's got herself a fantastic mm-hmm. cocktail. Um, and so then after the vodkas, one of my loves isn't the Amaro category. Um, most people in this country don't know Amari well. Isn't Amaro mm-hmm. very broad? Like Extremely there's a lot broad. of kinds. There's a lot of So you're Italian, I'm Italian. The Amaro. That's right. And so there is anywhere in Europe that you go, especially in Italy, every city, every town, everyone has their own version of an Amaro. And so for us, I love an after-dinner drink in general. I think that that has sort of died down in this country. People are not looking for something different. A palate cleanser, a nice yeah. after-dinner aperitif, digestive. That's right. Yeah. That's right. A digestive makes sense. Of course, we can't claim that it's got health benefits, but it does promote digestion. And so as we were playing with different um, um, things to create, we again said, why don't we go with peach? Why don't we do a balance of bitter and sweet? That might be sure. more palatable for people who don't know the category and introduce them to it. So it's got this deep, dark brown sugar flavor to it, all the bitters that you love, and then this awesome pop of peach that balanced that Amaro, which you can drink neat, throw it in a black Manhattan. Um, I like it at night. My nightcap always is just a little bit of rye before bed. Now it's Amaro because I think ours stands up. It's one of those that will introduce, again, new people to that category, um, and it's beautiful. And then gin, of course, something that we care deeply for as well. Um, My distiller is a gin nerd. Studied um, in Europe for a very long time, understanding both uh, whiskey and um, gin. And we went to the drawing board and tried to create. Originally, I thought we can make a gin that would stand up on its own. When tried it around the country, people were like, no one's going to drink this by itself. You need to make it so it can go in a cocktail. So defeated, went back home. We went back to the drawing board and came up with this one here, which is a beautiful balance of, I would compare it to like a combo of a London dry and a Western style gin, okay. where the fruity notes come out a little bit more. It's not so juniper heavy. You're not getting overwhelmed by the botanicals. Right. I used to hate gin because of juniper. I do like juniper, but everything that you taste on the market is so juniper forward that it, it tosses everything else off. All those intricate botanicals have a purpose. And when you mask them with so much juniper, it just yeah. gets lost. That's why so you have to have a beautiful. tonic as opposed to maybe a nice soda water. Because you right. really want those juniper, those berries to come out and the flavors to come out. And that's why they mask it a lot of times with a heavy citrus also. That's right. Yeah, I, you know, I, ironically... I'm curious, um, when is the gin revolution coming? I've been told for 20 freaking years that gin is making its comeback, and I am still (laughs) sitting here waiting for the gin comeback. About five years ago, there was a gentleman I met who was telling me he was going to open a gin bar. Strictly gin bar, like you'd find in London, somewhere like that. And I said, just keep me... Keep me updated. I, I can't wait for this to come come to fruition. Never came to fruition. Isn't it funny? I've been hearing the same bars, story. And Morrow bars are all over the country now. They're opening. There's one a in new Atlanta. one here. Yeah. yeah, I just heard that they're opening one in Atlanta. So Morrow's everywhere now. Our Morrow fits the cuisine a little better. I mean, I've Absolutely. heard that that London, the food scene has changed immensely, and it's supposed to be awesome now. But English food sucks. I mean, there's no other way to say it. No one wants to freaking eat English food, so you don't follow the cuisine with it. A Morrow and a nice mozzarella bar, like that's a different freaking story. Now that's we're right. talking cuisine. We're talking the blend. But they've been saying gin forever, and all I see. Is Amaro bars popping up everywhere. So 
On that note, now I, I think it's a generation. My personal opinion is a generational thing, and I think which generation? You said you wouldn't touch Jim with a fifty foot pole before we started. So which generation is going to drink? No, it but I think it's it the is an older. Olds? It's an older generation, right? And I think what might happen with a corn cob pipe and there. Yeah, own. no, but I think what might happen <laughs> is is my parents' generation or you know, unfortunately, leaving us. I think you might see maybe a, an ode to them over the next five to ten years, but I. I don't know. I just gin has been one of those things that I think it has been a okay. It's an older person generation, yeah. and I don't think it's come up. And I think at times when you get that stigma, you need something to recycle it. And I think the craft world is doing that yeah. because you know all of our associations in the craft world. You know we're together three, four times a year, and the amount of alcohol, of course, is insane. But it's always those late nights at these at these conferences where all of the bottles that they didn't put into competition that they've been working on that are weird and totally off the beaten oh, you path. Guys get to drink that together. We just kind of bond we, over yeah. it. That's, that's right. That's so cool. How how is gin? So hit me quick. It's a neutral spirit. It's it's a neutral base, and then they add the botanicals. Talk about that that distilling process. How long does it take? It's pretty quick. How are you adjusting the the berries and the botanicals that go in it? That's an awesome question. So there are two different ways you can do it. You can. If you look at a pot still, which is probably the most common looking um, distillery piece of equipment people might know, it looks like just a big fat um, still. So you can add something to a to one of those stills. It's basically it's called a gin basket. Yeah. Imagine tea bagging. Yeah. Yeah. So it's absorbing the oh, flavors, wow. but it's not getting any sediment or anything else. So you can also do a maceration where that would go in there, and then you could um, go ahead and strain. But we love the gin basket. I think you get an opportunity to um, manipulate. So different varietals. At almost, what point in right. the distilling process is this already at proof, and you're adding it afterwards, or no. is this in the process from the beginning? And in the process of distillation. Okay. okay. Yeah. Neat. Well, when we come back, we'll, we'll just dive into that a little bit more, and then we got to tell people how they can uh, find you. So uh, you're listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We are with Seth Watson of Distillery of Modern Art, and we will be right back. Spring is here, and baseball is back. You can't forget the derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Nick Constantino here with Trip Job, and we got Seth Watson of Distillery of Modern Arts. And believe it or not, as usually actually happens with Trip and I, um, we forgot to talk about marketing. We've been sitting here <laughs> drinking corn whiskey, and the mind just wandered. Forgot to talk about marketing. So let's bring it back to marketing. So, Seth, you just rattled off a lot of knowledge and passion about the product. We've tried it. We've spoken about what we drink with it. What if it is a non-discerning palette or a new person to it, how do you market to the masses? How does the modern art come in? Because I think it's a clever way to get people in there, and I think the art world and the booze world really come together nicely. Talk about how you picked this strategy to market yourself and what the ongoing marketing process looks like. That's a pretty awesome question. So the entire ethos of Distillery of Modern Art is this blend of art and science. So through all of our taste testing with other people, what we found was subjectivity what pairs better with subjectivity than art. Mm -hmm. 
all the things that I love are in our building at the distillery. So I'm a big modern art fan. I love booze. When I was thinking about branding, one of the things that I was desperate to do was take a step away from what most people do. I just wanted it to be different. So from the design to the bottle to the building, how everything functions was meant to be more high-end, more modern, and sort of invoke the senses. So we ask our consumers to seek more. And so when we were thinking about bottle, label, art, all of these components, I took what a couple bottles that I was interested in using and was going to bars. I was creating my own like paper labels just to see how they looked on a back bar. Could you read them? Is it easy to pronounce? All of these things that you think about you know, as men, I know that if I'm sitting in a bar and there's a bottle of scotch that I can't pronounce, I'm not going to order it. That's a really dumb little thing, but it's yep. something I've picked up to understand. Yep. People don't want to be embarrassed, and if they can't call for it, they're not going to want it. Yeah, and then like tequila is a great example. Right. If you're in just a regular bottle that looks like vodka, no one's ordering tequila. It needs right. to be the ma- the market has created this Patron effect that it has to have this unique shape. That's right. And that has yeah. become some of the selling point of tequila. So just for example, keep going. That's right. And so once I started to hone in on, you know, I found this square bottle. It was very, very modern. Um, There were very few square bottles on the market at the time. Um, The neck was nice. It looks like a uh, decanter, just a beautiful, more high-end look. And when we're looking at labels, we're sticking with the art theme, so the label's made out of a canvas. It has designs on the physical label that match the trim in the building as well, so there's a tie-back. And then what we wanted to do was commission different artists, all from Atlanta, all from Georgia anyway, Commissioned different artists to create a piece of abstract artwork that spoke to the spirit in the bottle. So I gave one person gin, one person corn whiskey, one bourbon, and said, now create abstract. I want it on a 40 by 40 canvas. They created these things. Because God knows the best artists were on something while they were painting. I mean, yeah. you read anything about Van Gogh. I mean, these guys, these guys were on something, and that's where the, the best the art best, comes. The best talk show hosts were on something, I, too. I'm just so saying, here's I'm just to another saying, uh, art comes from it. Let's just call a spade a spade. That's why some of the best musicians are all dead, because they were all on something while they were making the best art. Only the good die young, for sure. Go. So we that's got the these. That's Italian. That's the Billy Joel. He had, he had to do it. Yep. Joel's not an Italian, but he might as well, well be from where he's yeah. from. But keep going. <laughs> so... Because this was abstract work, the theory was we would then digitize that art and then cut it up to the interior of the bottle. So uh, I'm pulling out real quick just for reference point here, but the art is literally on the interior of the bottle. Oh, cool. So this artist here, this one here is very different. They all have a different piece of artwork in them. And so the idea is if that's sitting on the back bar at a restaurant or an actual bar, the idea is that you can see something that may spark your interest. The reason this label well, is cut... Well, you get the die-cut labels, which is kind of neat, so... Yes. The idea is that everywhere you look, you can see some art. So if this is sitting awkwardly on a shelf, you still see art, and you think, well, what is that? It'll pique your interest. Right. Yeah, and the way the light hits it might be different. It might be a backlit bar that's got a different flavor. You've got different colors coming off of it. It's very cool. And then with the darker spirit, especially the Amaro, which is really dark, dark, dark brown, the juxtaposition is as that bottle's depleted, more art's revealed. And then these bottles become something you may want to use mm-hmm. after the fact. We've had some keep them for, uh, they put candles in them, they okay. use them for uh, for vases. We hope that these become maybe a collector's item in the future. And as we move across the country, as we sell spirits, the idea will be to engage with artists in those regions, those states, and produce something that is state-specific, region-specific. And then as we cross the globe, the idea would be to engage with artists all over the world to have this sort of uh, feel. On top of that, we list this artist's information and the title of the, the piece so that there's a connection to it. 
and then these are on display in our gallery. Sorry, in our main hall in the distillery. And that's great. So it also adds the element of locality. And one of the things about the spirits, the beer industry, that hyper-local feel, no one wants, they, they love their Georgia spirits and beer. Right. So once you go out of state, now all of a sudden by taking artists from that state, you're localizing it to that region also. Right. So you're showing a locality, which is important to the industry. And that might change, but right. that's really important now because all of a sudden you're giving back to that community. Yeah. And that's been a huge part of the beer and spirits world. So that's great. So let's talk a little bit about, again, marketing. Um, we talked a little bit about distributors, and then now you've got to obviously look at um, the bars, the restaurants. How are you marketing to the influencers, right? So those restaurants, What Trip's trying to say is we're influencers. Give us more product. That's yeah. what he's trying to say. He's politely trying, he's politely trying to say that. Well, these bottles are for you guys anyway, right. so definitely going to check that off. But the idea here, we have the culinary scene in Atlanta is awesome. Yeah. And it continues to grow. And I honestly think that it's the easiest of all sells to walk into a bar or restaurant mm-hmm. and say, here, try this. Oh, yeah, and we're also down the street from you. Yeah. So we say this at the distillery all the time. We love local, but only if it's good. So if you have a good product and you're local, when you've got a scene like the culinary one here in Atlanta, yep. it's a no-brainer for someone to say, why wouldn't we take in a better gin that's priced appropriately, tastes better, and we can support the community? Yeah. And so I think all Atlanta's those. culinary scene is in a finding itself mode right now. I right. think with Hugh Atchison, a lot of these four or five, the restaurants closing like crazy. I think it's right. the end of a generation. I think we need some new blood in this city. I think it's and coming. I think that Michelin Guide helps yep. start that standpoint. But as somebody who moved here 10 years ago and how much I've seen this scene change, this city is in desperate need of identity, right? You have yeah. Nashville hot chicken. You have all these th- things for different regions. Atlanta doesn't really have that personality. And it's still it growing with so much people coming right. from other places that I think this is a really a good blend, time. And right? I mean, I'm very excited of what to see um, as we move forward. So I think you time that right, where as somebody comes in, now all of a sudden you have this local thing, you have this artistic, you have this experimentation going on. I think it'll play well with the culinary ex- expansion yeah. that's going on also. I also just got completely blindsided to see that that corn whiskey was 51%. I was thinking 40. That does not drink like a 51%er. That's that. That's that part art, part science. Yeah, I know. So tell us, uh, so listeners out there, because we are influencers, um, where can they find you? I mean, obviously we've you've got the distillery in Chambly, but where else can they find uh, your uh, your spirits? So distilleryofmodernart.com. Right. You can actually buy from our website, even though the state of Georgia will not let us ship to you from our location. It's getting routed through Washington D.C., and then you can get it at your door within like five days. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, all of all of the. Uh, major social platforms. It's just Distillery of Modern Art. Easy to find. Um, You can buy these spirits, of course, throughout the state. You can buy them at our shop in our distillery. And again, you can order them now across the country. What what do the prices go for? So uh, both the gin and the corn whiskey are around 34. Our vodka's at 25. The Amaro's at 35. And I think that's all of them right now. Yeah, Is that that's, five? that's so, great, man. Yeah, yeah it's a great thirty-five craft price, price, price point. That's your price point. Yep. Yeah, very good. It's a great price point. You know, even during the pandemic, um, glass went up, corks went up, everything yeah. went up, but we still kept those prices there. Took a little bit out of our um, back end just to keep the prices where they are. So, what is uh, we we got about a minute left here? Um, what's twenty twenty four hold? What's uh, what's in your vision? We're hopefully hoping to release a our first rye in Q2 of this year, and then we're moving on to look at some good rum, and we're looking to make an agave-based spirit. Yeah. 
Love it. Again, that's the experimentation, man. I mean, there's not a lot of people making local rums. I mean, I, I love it. My wife's Puerto Rican. Yeah. I mean, Don Q or death is pretty much the answer yeah. I hear. And I've had all the varietals in yep. Puerto Rico, which is insane. Um, you know what, uh, Trip? let's take this offline with the next one. Let's close out the radio show and let's really have some fun and talk uh, some boozy stories and some a different things on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, first, let's thank uh, Seth Watson from uh, Distillery of Modern Art. Shambly, and uh, it's been great to have you on, and uh, wish you all the best with uh, with the distillery. And you've been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra One Hundred Six Point Three. We'll be back with you next week, and uh, hang on for those who are listening on the podcast. And uh, this has been the Marketing Mad Men. Spring is here, and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Nick Constantino here with Trip Job, and we got Seth Watson of Distillery of Modern Arts. What's your favorite thing in the hopper right now that you're experimenting with? What are you most excited about? Honestly, our rye. It's unfortunate my uh, distiller and I have almost identical palates, which okay. is good and bad. When we first started drinking together, we were coming up with the same notes. You know, we would drink, we'd write notes. Same with my GM, uh, who's a sommelier, so he understands taste and he's yep. got a good palate. My distiller and I, we just started writing almost identical notes, and it got a little scary. One, because, you know— People shouldn't have the same palate. They shouldn't, and that actually is a detriment to us because if we, him and I like it, it doesn't mean anybody yeah. else is going to like sure. it. Right. it would, we'd prefer some counterbalance, so my GM, Henry Rosenbaum— um, is got that other side of that palate, which changes our view on something. And we were recently tasting some of the rise. They're just hitting about the two-year mark. And we poured some into a glass. Um, my distiller had come from the warehouse where we have all of our barrels, and he put down six on the table. So we're drinking through. We can tell they're still a little young. They're not really getting where they want to be. And one of these barrels we poured, and I sipped it, and I was like, this is it. oh, shit. I think we're there. Yeah. And Matt drank it, and he's like, well, I don't know. And then Henry drank it independently, and he goes, I think we're there. And then we got back together, and we sipped it a few what more times. What was it about that barrel that stood out from the rest? Different aging, different place in the rig? Like, what, what was different about this barrel? So all, all barrels are always going to be different, yeah. right? And so this had not—it had sat sort of towards the bottom in the rickhouse. Okay. It was one of the earlier barrels. And it just had the full-body flavor you want from rye. It was still very punchy, given it was out of the barrel, so, so the it, proof it was still high. Little, it felt like it aged a little past its years? Not not necessarily. Right. It had a bite to it. Like, so I love a good bite on yeah. rye. I want to taste fire. that yep. spice. Right. Um, forget the proof because we drink off the still at doesn't 160. Yep. You yeah. know, yeah. Drink that at 7 a.m. It doesn't matter. But this just tasted like a rye that I would pour out of a bottle off a shelf and be pleasantly surprised at how good yeah. it was. Yeah. And so you know, you don't need – I hate the, the conversation that bourbon has to be a particular age. Rye has to be no. a particular age. Good's good. So we're not being forced as a small business right. to – put stuff out because we feel the pressure to do so, we want to release when things are good. 
Well, let me ask you this question. Are you feeling the pressure from external forces? Rye is having its year right now, right? He just came off. Parker's made a rye, a 10-year rye. That was the first time that Heaven Hill went deep into an age rye. Rye is in its moment right now. Do you sometimes feel the pressure to release earlier because rye is in season right now? It's the the big thing. Obviously, you found one you liked. You got lucky in that sense that you found one you liked. But do you feel pressure from those external forces because, you know, ultimately it's a money-making opportunity. If rye is in season, do you feel that pressure? Are Are you watching those external factors? Factors? Is that something that comes into account when you're looking at all this stuff? It keeps me up at night. I mean, no, no question. We get pressure from distribution that's why company. He the, that's why he has yeah, his well, nightcap before he goes to What I was going to say is when you night. need other pallets, Nick was basically saying that once dry January is over, I think he's offering his pallet. I do I not love to have pallet. you guys there. I like, I like anything put in front of me. I am that kind of drinker. I won't go into the demons I have and why, but that's my kind One of One of the beautiful things of our bars, when we're messing with stuff, we've got Taste testers sitting in front of us, and yeah. everybody loves a free taste. That's awesome. Everybody loves a free taste. So because of the distillery, because we're a manufacturer, we can't use anything we don't make. Mixers, anything with alcohol, nothing. So we've got to make it all. So we wanted to make a Cosmo, but we didn't have orange liqueur. Mm-hmm. So we made it. Now we only made a couple gallons of it. Now we can make a Cosmo. So when we're trying those things out, if there's 10 people sitting at the bar, I'm going to pour one for each yeah. one of them. And now they feel like they're part of the growth. They feel like they're yeah. part of the expansion. They're your taste testers. You've built loyal fo- you've been loyal folks for life, and you're yeah. in a position where no one else can do it because the barriers to entry are so high. So you That's can't right. just come in now and build this kind of thing unless it takes years of money and practice, which puts you in really a good position. Agreed. So when we have the layperson, so to speak, at the bar, these are your general consumers. It doesn't matter what the professionals think. They're not the ones buying at the end of the day, right? So yeah. you definitely want to be able to have – this inclusion with people at the bar. So some people come expecting something might cool might something cool might happen. We might tap a few people on a slower night, give them a free tour, introduce them to a bunch of stuff they wouldn't have known about anyway. That's building a good rapport with our community in general. That's the lifeblood for where we are. We of course want to expand that and it's a lot harder to be here and trying to do that with people in California. But the idea that locally we can build that reputation, hopefully own our own backyard and then expand from yeah, there. I love it. Um, but the ride, the pressure is there. I think that I, that's why I lose sleep. I think that um, I don't care what those pre- what that pressure is. I think, you know, I created it myself. Yeah. I, I just don't think that there's a reason to release something because that pressure you gotta exists. you got to be aware of it, but yeah. you don't have to say be influenced by it. That's right. I, I say this all the time. I get back in my own in my own head. I would say that I actually love young rye more than anything. I had an 11-month-old 11 month, 11 rye out of a distillery called Wiggle. They are in Pennsylvania. One of the best tasting ryes I've ever had, 11 months old. Then I told people, I'm only drinking young rye. It's the best thing ever. And then I had an 18-year-old rye, which on the concept of from the marketing thing, I was like, this is dumb. Why does anybody need an 18-year-old rye? And it was the most incredible rye I'd ever had. And so there's that balance. Like, I want to drink six-month-old rye. Tastes great. I'll drink six-month-old bourbon. I love that farm flavor. But I think now at two years on it, it just tastes like it is a a rye that can stand up almost against anything else in the market. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And so, High, High West has done a good job with those ryes. Um, you know, again, you're on their 11th year now. The problem with a lot of these ryes is the, the the distillers feel more obliged to make more and more of it, which makes it less and less allocated and that's right. easier to find. Which the aftermarket yeah. has gone crazy. But um, yeah, it's a it's a ride timer now for sure. So on product, you have two choices typically as a business. You can go um, broad. Or you can go very deep. It sounds like you're starting by going more broad across different spirits. Is that kind of your intent, or how are you thinking about it? If this was purely just a manufacturing facility, 
and nothing else was there, I'd want to only make whiskey. That's I, easier for the distributors also. Less skews is easier for them. They want brown spirits. Symbol, yeah. right. It's it's not commodity. You know, they call vodka commodity at this point where it's just everybody has it. It doesn't matter. The whiskey is the world that, that it exists space. in. Yeah. But I love the idea of just playing, seeing what works because we can make small amounts of things. Right. There is no, in my mind, as long as I can keep, you know, the lights on, we're just going to keep playing. And so for us, an easier way to do that, not only do we make our own products, but we do contract work for business for distilleries across the country brands mm-hmm. and distilleries and so we keep the lights on and we get an ROI on our big bottling uh, bottling line because we bring other people's products in we go from scratch or we just do bottling for them uh, recipe development we do all that stuff under one roof so while I have the advantage now that I can wait on perfectly aged whiskeys without worrying about that pressure of I need to go buy a six-year-old product and relabel it I refuse to Take somebody else's product and slap a label on it. Yeah, I'd much rather fail on our own. Sure. Than because of somebody else. So you can do. It's your, always about you can the eighty twenty, and so you can. Hey, eighty percent is how we're going to make our money, and then twenty percent is how we get better. Yep, that's yeah. actually right. Yeah. 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 I love it. All right, so we're going to do a couple of rapid fire questions. Everyone can jump in at the same time yeah. if they want to. So we're talking about influence now. So some of the things that have influenced you. So you said art, you take booze. So let's do um, one or two of your favorite bottle of booze that you don't make. Willet four year rye. It's I've had all of the Willets from mm-hmm. four to fifteen, twenty, whatever. The four year old for me stands up better than the eight. Yeah, that'll love it. What else, Trep? What you got? <clears throat> Just a um, favorite bottle, something recently, whatever it is. You know, it's interesting because you're talking about cocktails. What is your favorite? Um, I don't want to call it a mixer, but maybe a fa- favorite specialty cocktail to work with uh, with your spirits. So I'm not a big cocktail drinker. Okay. If I do, it's something as simple as a um, as an old fashioned. Yeah, love yeah. an old fashioned. Love a French seventy five because yeah. I love a little champagne. Love gin. Mm-hmm. Um, a black Manhattan for me is one of the best things. Yeah. Period. But you want the booze to be the pr- prominent. Prominent. That's it. Most I don't want, want a bunch down. of other yeah. nonsense. Yeah. 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 The most boozy drink I can drink is that black Manhattan mm-hmm. with a fifty fifty run of rye and amaro. Right. Yeah. A little bit of citrus, a little bit of bitters. Yeah. That's nice. it. All right. So let's talk some art. So I was at the Met. I took my kids to the Met. Uh, I was fascinated. So they had this Degas Monet, Monet exhibit, lines upon lines. But the room next to it is where they have the Van Goghs, the Cezannes. The, they have everything. The Monets, water lilies. It's, a, it's the most amazing room on earth. If you're an art guy, it is. And there was nobody there. It was 10, 15 in the morning. There was oh. nobody in it. And I just... Went around 10 times. And I wish, to be honest with you, I had a drink in my hand because I really enjoy. I won't tell you what I was doing when I was in Amsterdam, when I was looking at the Van Goghs. Uh, (laughs) A lot stronger. Just like everybody else. (laughs) But but talk about some artwork. So the one that stood out to me was the Cezanne. It was the French when they were all on the patio in in Paris and the lady with the umbrella. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So very famous painting. And I just saw it. And of all the ones, Van Goghs, they had a couple of sunflowers. They had some water lily monets. And I love that kind of art. But that was the one that I saw and in person i've seen it before but stood out to me the most so talk about some art that's influenced you talk about some artists talk about some stuff that's really influenced because it sounds like these things have played into as you're designing this whether consciously or subconsciously into what's come about the end product actually in our building each room is dedicated to a particular modern artist that i love and it was designed after that artist so our bar is depicted after um uh, kandinsky waylon kandinsky Um, and then our event space is modeled after um um, Mark Rothko. Mark Rothko? Yeah. 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 Mark Rothko. Rothko. Yeah. Uh, so we got the Rothko room. And the it's so funny modern art is so hard to define. I mean, modern art started the in like like, the 1800s. Well, and they're like, all the way up to the 70s, like, right? Christ, it's, yeah. But and, I'm, and, I'm hugely influenced by Dolly. 
I just yeah. I love abstract in general. I love he's the got a play. great one in the Met. It is a gigantic yeah. mural with a big white spot with dark all around it. It is another one that just. just Have you been to the Dolly Museum in Tampa? Yeah, I've not. It's, uh, it's like four floors of just yeah. bonkers stuff. I mean, Dolly, crazy, weird, awesome yeah. person. I love he Misfits. He did a lot. Right. I, I made my parents on a cruise ship when you're by a Dolly, original yeah. Dolly. Oh, that's awesome. It was this Greek, like, and they always joke because his balls are hanging out, so yeah. they say it in Greek all the time. But he's sitting there like this, and I made them buy it. It's hand-drawn by Dolly. It's, it's incredible. Awesome. And I'm like, that's mine. I go, you guys don't have a say in this. I made you buy well, it. That's mine. Well, yeah, when, so you, you, big... when you were talking earlier about some of the impressionists in early modern art, I mean, I'll give you my perspective. Please, and, and, and again, just arm. came and bought some art while I was out in uh, New Mexico. And to me, what I, it's not the style. It's not, um, you know, the, qual- I mean, the quality, yes. Um, but it's relating and envisioning myself in whatever environment they're depicting. And whether it's Cezanne, whether yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, I bought this picture of a very Western, um, you know, cowboy on a horse, but, you know, riding through what could be any forest in America. I grew up on horses. I didn't ride Western, but I could relate and I love the style and I love the quality. The same thing with, you know, Cezanne, Monet. Well, what does that say? Me, what does that say about me then? Because my favorite painting ever is Edward Monk, The Scream. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it's one of the most famous paintings <laughs> yeah, on earth. Yeah, for sure. But that is, in that moment, yeah. how many times does one just on top of my lungs yeah. just scream as loud as I can about the right. stupid, usually stupid But there's a relation. The to me, it's, yeah. it's about, and, and we're all different, but it's well, that's, that's what you can relate nature. to. Yeah. The subjective of, I can envision myself, I can be there, it makes me happy. That but ironically, isn't that like booze? Aren't your favorite memories drinking? Yeah. Not had nothing to do with the booze, it's the experience that you had yeah. around it? It's the recall. So this yeah. is literally our ethos. It's the subjectivity between art and spirit, we right? Knew we were going to get there. Yes. You can we stare we at that long drink. We got that, there. You can stare at that, let's call it art, okay? Let's yeah. say you're staring at that. You don't yeah. get it, you think it's yeah. the best thing ever. You like this corn whiskey, he doesn't understand it. Yeah. That's the beauty of the subjectivity of yeah. both art and spirit. Yeah. It's really that. I see almost similarly to how you look at art. I depict myself in whatever that is, yeah. and then it's what it means to me. It may mean something totally different yeah, to you, yeah. totally different and to God you. God bless it for so, meaning some different things to people. But that's I'm why I like abstract more than anything, though. Yeah. Because you can see, when I walk by some of the paintings in my house that are not famous paintings by any stretch, I see something different. If I'm laying down, if I've had a few yeah. drinks, if I'm com- if the light hits it a particular way, I like to see different things. Yeah, yeah. It's ever-changing. And see, I'm a and nostalgia guy. I go and I buy paintings when I'm in foreign countries. So from awesome. Boston, oh, yeah. Mexico City and South Africa, I always buy one piece of art. And it, it's just Very much it's the same one way. that catches my eye. It has nothing to do with cost. No. Usually you get to haggle in those places, which is like yeah. my favorite thing in the world. That is absolutely my I'm favorite like, thing. $5 is all you're getting. I'm out. And then I just walk away. Like, right, fine, 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 fine. So anyway, but I, that for me, it's the nostalgia and the memory that it yeah. elicits. Because it's for me, it's better than a picture of the place. Seeing oh. that piece of artwork is better. So again, but you're right. It's so different things to so many different people. Exactly. But honestly, I think we've gone long. What do you say, Trip? You think we've gone a little long? Yeah, I think this has been fantastic, <laughs> oh, awesome. though. I mean, I can't wait. I'm actually going to try to get over and um, uh, see the uh, distillery. And Please, get over to Shamley some night. So um, I think it's been fantastic. I might break my booze fast there. Yeah. Doesn't that sound like a good place to That's do it? That sounds like a great place yeah. to We will do show it. you a good time. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're right down the road, too, which makes my life easier. Hopefully, yeah, my maybe life... for a little bit more for me, but I got some buddies that are ITP, and uh, we go. always like to find new places to go there out go. and uh, have a drink or two. So awesome. we, will, uh, we will definitely stop by. So, uh, Seth Watson, thank you so much. Thank All you the guys. best for uh, you and Distillery of Modern Art. And uh, this has been the Marketing Mad Men. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning, determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. 
like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. 